Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. All right, we're in Proverbs for our Bible study. Um, I, I actually feel distracted now just from all that whirlwind of things, but I'm thankful to be in a living church. I think of how many people, uh, you know, that, that live across the country, across the world, they're on fire for Christ, but they don't have a church like we do uh, to go to. And that's an amazing thing just to be thankful for and not take for granted. Um, awesome, awesome stuff. So uh, we're in Proverbs chapter 22. I want to give you our text verse tonight. You'll know what our topic is as soon as I read the verse. Uh, And so we begin, it's chapter 22, verse (laughs) 6. Solomon writes, and he says, train up a child. You can leave now while you have like 14 seconds before I finish reading this verse. If you just want to duck out, you don't want to hear it, uh, you can do that. But it says, train up a child uh, in the way that he should go, he or she. And when he or she is old, he will not depart from it. So train up a child. The idea there is to um, initiate, to inaugurate. Uh, Literally, the word picture in the Hebrew is to funnel. So you're actually channeling uh, a child. You're you're bringing them from a broad perspective or from a wild perspective, and you're pruning their path into something very specific. So train up a child, it says, in the way that they should go. And I want you to mark that word, at least in your mind, because it it highlights for us that there is an element of human will involved in this, that they should go in this way. Uh, It doesn't say that they must go or that they are guaranteed to go. It's the way that they should go. So you're to train them or funnel them in the path that you know is the right way that they should go, but you don't ultimately have control over it. And then it says, and when, and I want you to again, circle that word when right there in the passage, because it means that there's no time stamp on this. It comes at some point. We don't know when is that doesn't give a specific. It just says when. So there's a time involved that's unknown, but it says when he is old. And the idea behind old there is not uh, gray-haired necessarily, again, not, not nothing age-stamped, but basically it just means mature. It means that once they've developed, it means once that they have been able to evaluate a few things and weigh out a couple of things uh, and, and see some things, experience some things, maybe taste some things, that when they're old, it says that then they will not, and again, just mark those two words, that they will not, because will means choice. And so the idea is that now this has moved. There's a transition. It's no longer your will saying this is what you should do, but now it has become their will that they will not depart from it. So they have made a choice now uh, that this is the direction that they also want to go. And it says that once they choose, not your choice, but their choice, it says that then they will not depart from it. And so uh, tonight I want to talk to you about this whole amazing topic of parenting, raising uh, children, amazing thing. I remember back in, in my school days, and I don't get to see my kids experience this too much because they're homeschooled, but I remember the days of the pop quiz. Remember that? And you would be there and, and you'd be having a normal morning, a normal time, and the teacher would say, clear your desks, 
pop quiz, and all of a sudden you would have a panic attack, an anxiety attack right there. But there was two different types of, uh, of pop tests that you could have in that moment. Um, and one of them was a multiple choice test. And when there was a multiple choice test, your anxiety level would go immediately down. Because with a multiple choice test, you don't really need to necessarily know the subject matter all that great. If you have a little bit of common sense and you have a little bit of uh, uh, practical, you know, common thinking skills, critical thinking skills, you can pretty much kind of figure out what the answer is, and you can get by not knowing. But the other type of test was the essay test. And the essay test would make the anxiety level go even higher because you can't fake it on an essay test. There would be a question, and you would have to know the answer. And if you didn't know the answer, you didn't get it right. There was no way to get around that, you know. And, and so there's these two things. Now, I'm glad for the pop test. Uh, I think that's an excellent thing that they do in the schools because that is life every day, isn't it? I think every single day of adult life, there are pop tests. And some of those tests are multiple choice. When you have six bills that are due and you only have enough money to pay three bills, right? You can use some critical thinking skills and you can figure out which bills you should pay. You can kind of evaluate that. You could say, well, flow from progressive seems a lot more aggressive to me than the T-Mobile man who can't figure out if he's got a signal on his phone. So I'm going to pay flow. I'm going to pay my, my car insurance this month and, and T-Mobile can wait. You know, I've got to figure it out. That's multiple choice. But there's other tests that aren't multiple choice, but you still need answers for it. Like when you find out that your teenage son or daughter has two fake profiles on a social media account and they're leading an entirely different life than what you've ever known and some, somewhere out in public they're completely different people than the people that you thought they were at home and when that happens that's an essay test because now you need answers and you don't know what to do or when you find out that maybe your spouse is sick and it's going to change your life. It's going to change the dynamic of your family life and of your future. And everything that was normal to you all of a sudden becomes abnormal. Now you need answers. And it's for those types of life situations that God has given us his word. And he's given us his wisdom. And so God has things to say to us in order to equip us for the circumstances that are unexpected, the tests that come that we don't necessarily have answers to. And so I'm thankful that God has something to say about these things that we go through. Sometimes I think about what kind of responsibility it takes to be God. Can you imagine the, kind, the level of responsibility? I mean, just think about, I mean, think about if, if, if God made a mistake I mean, you can't sue him. It's not, I mean, he's protected, right? He's covered because he's God. But can you imagine just the, the level of responsibility? I mean, think about what he has to, has to keep going and still have the capacity left over to do other things. He's got to manage the universe. He's got to balance all the scientific systems and keep it running like a clock. I mean, we take all that for granted because it just happens, but some, somebody's doing that. God is taking care of that. And then there's all these things that, that make up the complication of life on earth. You know, God says that he's in control of the geopolitical system. Can you imagine that? I mean, just that in and of itself, like you would have to be some kind of being to be able to not only understand it, but to be the one that's kind of pulling the puppet strings on the whole thing and know where it's all going. To be able to sit down, put your feet up and say, yeah, I know the end from the beginning and everything's right on schedule and it's okay. I know who's in control and, and in charge. 
But then on top of that, it gets even smaller. And the Bible says that he controls even our breath and our heartbeat. Think about it. When's the last time that you had to, to think about that? I had my appendix taken out about two years ago and never, ever been anesthetized before that moment. It was the best sleep I've ever had in my life. But when I woke up from it, they had to remind me to breathe. I remember they shook me awake and I talked to them for a minute and then I kind of phased out again and the lady shook me and she said, you need to breathe now. And I said, wait, you told me, you told me that the appendix did nothing. The appendix was controlling my, I have to think about that now. Like that's something I have to voluntarily, I'm done. It's over. I can't control that. That's outside, you know. But God has this amazing capacity. And then on top of that, all of the plans that he says, he knows I know the plans that I have towards you. I manage your thoughts. They're more in number than the sand, the thoughts that I have towards each person. Just think about the level of responsibility. And if God were to make a mistake, what would he choose? If, if something was going to slip through the cracks, what would it be? Right? Like, oh, well, there's a few people I'm not going to be able to get their hearts going today, <laughs> you know, because I'm busy on the other hand. I mean, just it's an amazing level of responsibility that it is to be God. And sometimes I wonder, like, when God was conceptualizing this whole creation life thing that, that we're all a part of, I wonder if he was, like, bouncing ideas off angels. Not that he needed counsel, but just in, you know, conversation. And this is, again, totally hypothetical. I'll get to heaven and be like, I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> You know, but I can imagine God like just kind of talking to him. He's like, yeah, I I think I'm going to create man. He's going to be in my image. He's going to have free will and free choice. And they're going to start off with nothing. And they're going to be flawed. And they're going to be fiercely selfish beings. But I'm going to make them perfect. And I can imagine some of the angels just going like, what? Like flawed, selfish, and empty. And you're going to make them perfect and like you? Like, how are you going to do that? And God's just going like, I've got ways they're like, well, what? What are you going to do? He's like, well, okay. See all those kids down there? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to give them kids. <laughs> I'm going to give them kids. And that is going to be the way, or at least part of the way, that I turn them from empty and selfish and flawed people into those that look more like me and act more like me and think more like me. And I think the angel's going like, oh, my goodness. They probably just bowed down right then. And they're like, yeah, okay, you're, you're God. We look into the things that, that are salvation and we can't comprehend them. It's way beyond anything that we could uh, ask, think, or imagine. I think one of the, the hardest and craziest things that exists in all of the universe is human beings raising kids. I ran into uh, a woman that she's in her mid-20s. I hadn't seen her probably in half a year or something like that. And in between the time I last saw her and this time, she's had a baby. She's had her first child, a Christian woman, you know, great, solid person. And I asked her, what's it like? And she said, oh, I love being a mother. And we started going back and forth. And I said, it's really hard, though, right? And she looked at me and she goes, oh. She said, about six weeks into this, I looked at my husband and I said, are people crazy? Like, why do people do this? You know, but how many of us have not felt that from time to time? Like, we're raising kids and we're like, why do people do this? And that's a great question. Why do we do this? And, you know, it's funny, but sometimes I'll counsel with a young man, and usually it's a young man, uh, and he'll say, he'll talk and say, look, why did God make, why did God make the male sex drive so powerful? You know, there, there's such a, a, a guided way in which it's to be used and expressed. Why did he make it so powerful? And my answer to them is always because if he didn't, 
the human race would go extinct within six years. <laughs> because there is no way we would ever have kids. Like We would figure out, like, this is just not something you do if you want to have a peaceful and easy life. You know, it's very, very difficult. I say, I say that, you know, uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek, just because it's so hard to raise kids. Um, you know, it's funny, Bobby, whenever he does a baby dedication up here, he says the same thing every time. He always says, you know, when Liz and I had the girls, each time we waited after the baby came out, if there was going to be a manual that was going to come out after them that described what it was going to be like. And there was no manual, you know, and, and that's true. But thankfully, God has given us in this responsibility that he's called us to, he's given us some guidelines. He's given us some wisdom, some things that will help us so that we can navigate the process because it certainly is a a process. Now, um, if you're here tonight and you're not a parent or you're here tonight and you don't want to be a parent or you don't think you'll be a parent or if you're here tonight and you just know already, and I'm looking around the room, I don't think there's very many of you, that you're never going to be a parent. I want to exhort you, don't tune me out and say this study has nothing to do with me, because it does, and here's why. Because all of the things that God has to say to parents about parenting really apply to people generically, because raising kids is raising people. It's leading. It's leadership. And so if you work with people, if you're among people, if you mentor people, if you disciple people, then all of the things that God says to parents apply equally to you. And if you're here and you're just say, I'm young, I'm not married, I'm not a parent yet, this isn't going to apply to me. No, no, no. You're probably the most blessed of all the people here because I'm going to give you some things tonight and next week because it's probably spillover that you're going to be able to go to your parent and say, see what pastor said? (laughs) You know, wives do that all the time. You know, like, ah, see what he said? Uh, You know, today, kids, this is your turn. You're going to be like, see ma, see dad, you know, that's the way you're supposed to be the whole thing. And someday hopefully you'll be able uh, to use it yourself. Now, uh, lastly, before we get into the content of the study, there's a couple of things that I want to say. First of all, I understand that this is an extremely touchy subject. Parenting is complicated. Parenting is painful. And parenting is serious. And, And this whole idea has caused many of us wounds. It's caused many of us guilt because of things that we have done that we regret. And I understand that. I also understand that there are strong opinions uh, concerning the concept of parenting. And, and I just want you to understand that I know all of that. And I'm not, you know, none of this is intended to be, be hurtful or wounding or offensive. I also want to say that any approach to try to talk about parenting in a week or two of Bible study, the best you're going to get is a, 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 a shallow drink from a deep well. Okay, because there are volumes written on the subject, ideas and ideals and thoughts and things and resources and experiments and situations. I mean, we could do this for years and still kind of end up right where we began. And so uh, I don't have all the answers. What I want to give to you in these studies is to point you down a few pathways that you can explore further. What I also want to say before we get into it is that everything that God says about parenting, they are principles, not necessarily promises. 
All right, so like even the verse that we read where it says, train up a child in the way that they should go and when they are old, they'll not uh, depart from it. It's a guideline, not necessarily a guarantee. And the reason for that is because there's this free radical called free will that every human being is born with uh, that makes all of these things a little bit crazy. And God's in control of that But if you don't understand that, then sometimes you can get a little uh, uh, put off by it. Now, nevertheless, God's guidelines are the best guidelines. If we're going to do it the best way we can, then we need to know what God says about how to do it. And the bottom line is that successful parenting works by the 20-30-90 rule. And that is this, that successful parenting is 20% art, 30% science, and 90% dumb luck. (laughs) And that's just kind of how it works. I also want to say, before we get into the content, is that I am not qualified to teach this. All right? My oldest turns 18 in two days. That means that even if I add up the collective ages of all of my kids, I'm at most a base novice at this whole thing. They've gone through nothing yet. And I'm looking at at, at people here that you have been put through the ringer in this whole thing, done everything right, and you've had it either not work or backfire, or you haven't seen the resolutions, or you've been twisted up, churned up, and spit out, and you're looking at me right like now with your arms going like, what is this little kid going to tell me about parenting? And I just want to address the elephant in the room that I have no clue. I don't know what I'm doing, not even at all. I don't have uh, uh, um, the, the answers, and I can't fully prep you for the tests, okay? I can give you what God says, and that's my goal. Now, I do have, at this point, moment, injunction, I have really great kids, but I have a long way to go. And I say all that to say this, is that the stories that I share with you throughout the process of this, a lot of them are wins that I have experienced in my parenting journey, all right? But they don't serve as role models as much as illustrations. In other words, I don't want you to go like, wow, he's really got it down. He knows what he's doing. He's a really great dad. I fear to sound that way. My 16-year-old son is in the sound booth right now, and I'm scared to death that he's going to hear a representation of me that he's going, that ain't my dad, you know? <laughs> and, and so there are wins, and, and, and those things probably will come out more than the losses, and there's plenty of losses. I've done so many things wrong as a dad, you know, and by the grace of God so far, my kids are doing uh, pretty good, okay? We all have advantages and disadvantages, and our desire is always to leverage our advantages to do the best we can for the kids that God has given to us. Uh, And so those are the precursors. I'm going to give you three points this week, hopefully three points next week, and I'm, I'm trying to get my wife to share one of those points because she's way more qualified, but she doesn't want to do it. So pray for her and put pressure on her. (laughs) <laughs> because she, she might not want to do it, but she definitely has something to say. So three points this week. If you're taking note, first point is this, is that a good parent, a good parent is always a child. A good parent is always a child. Now, I am not talking about being Peter Pan. That is, that you never grow up. But I am talking about being Wendy. 
Okay, now you have on two ends of the spectrum, you have Peter Pan on the one side, and he's the one that never grows up, all right? And then you have Captain Hook on the other side, and he's the one that has made childhood the enemy and that lives under the mantra of the drive childhood out, drive it out, and there's just nothing there. Wendy, she's right in the middle. And what Wendy is, is she's both. She's kind of the one that still understands the lostness of childhood, and yet she nurtures and brings along into adulthood, seeking to preserve the freshness and the wonder of what the child is, but to bring into maturity. Now you say, well, what's the verse for that? Because you're preaching Peter Pan, and that's a little weird in a church service. Okay, listen. The author of Proverbs What he does is that he consistently takes the role of a parent who's talking to a child about being a parent. So in the introduction to the book of Proverbs, in the first three chapters, seven times in those three chapters, the author says, my son. So it's a parent speaking to a child. But then the author opens chapter 4 this way. Listen to it. It's chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Hear you, children, the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, good teaching, forsake not my law. Now watch verse 3. He says, For I, this is the parent now. The parent says, For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. And so in other words, the parent who is the author of Proverbs is talking to children about raising children, but reminds them that he once was also a child. And so there's this understanding that if I'm going to be a good parent, I've got to remember that somewhere inside I'm still a child. And there are three childlike things that you never want to lose as parents. And what are they? Number one is that you want to be always learning. And that's part of being a child, right? Is that you're constantly learning. And so it means to remain humble, to remain teachable, and to keep the understanding that you haven't arrived yet. And if you want to be a good parent, that's a great thing to project to your kids. Not that you know it all and that you're throwing knowledge down at them and that you're all finished and complete and that maybe someday they'll get to where you are, but that you're still a child as well. Listen, I'm going with you. You want to be always learning. You also want to be always growing. And here's why. Because we do not, as parents, we do not grow ahead of our children. We grow along with our children. In other words, we're not further along down the path than they are. We just started earlier, but they're right where we are right now. In other words, we're walking together. It's not that I'm way ahead. Well, try to catch up. Here I, you know, and they're like, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I want to. I like it back. You know, no, we're, we're going together. And so we're bringing them along with us in the things that we're learning. There's this profound pressure that parents feel uh, that they want their kids to think that they know it all. 
or that they want their kids to think that they've arrived. But the reality is that we're on the same exact path that they are. We've just been on it longer. And so the spirit is that I'm dad, but I'm not God. And we're pursuing this together. We're going somewhere together in the whole thing. And so we want them to understand that we're learning, we're growing, and we also are always feeling. A childlike parent is learning, growing, and always feeling. Something that happens in adulthood or can happen in adulthood is that we can lose sensitivity and memory of what it was like to be a child. And that's a dangerous thing when that happens. I know that that was something, that's something actually that God has graced me with. As I remember being a child, and I, I kind of had a little bit of, of a Captain Hook parent type, type thing, where it was kind of like everything was like, no, 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 you can't do that. And I had this drive in me that I wanted to like climb trees and climb rocks and get dirty and the whole thing. And, and that was not embedded in the DNA culture of my household. You know, so it was always like, can I go climb that tree? I was like, no, no, you can't do it. And, and something happened inside that I made this mental note that someday when I'm a parent, I'm not going to be that way. Now, I've probably gone a little bit too far in the other direction because I pretty much let my kids do crazy, dangerous things. I just check their confidence. So they're like, can I go do that? And I said, do you, do you think you can? And they go, yeah. I go, go for it. Because that's what I felt like. I, I know I can do it. I know I can climb that tree. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to fall. Or at least I'm not going to, you know, this won't be the end of my life, you know. Uh, recently, my kids, we were hanging out with uh, another, another kid and um, one of my sons started to climb a tree. And, and this kid looked at, at, at my son doing it and looked up and said, your mom lets you climb trees? And, and they're like, what? Like, yeah, uh, of course, you know, you're a kid. You're supposed to climb trees. True story. This kid was like emboldened by the idea of, of wow, I could climb a tree. He jumped up, grabbed the tree limb. No lie, it broke, and he fell on the ground. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Maybe some kids maybe shouldn't climb trees. <laughs> I, I don't know, <laughs> you know. But but here's here's my point: is is that if we if we forget what it was like to be a kid, then we're gonna make unnecessary mistakes as parents. You know, because sometimes we can be maybe overprotective on the whole thing. So a good parent is always a child. There's a, a mentality that we're going somewhere together. We're, we're growing in life together. We're moving somewhere together and there's relationship there and there's trust there. Number two, point number two, is that a good parent is always a teacher. I want you to see something in Proverbs chapter 23. There's this little segment that I love. It's one of my favorite segments in the book of Proverbs. And it's not about parenting, but it's an example of what it means or what it looks like when a parent teaches their child. Watch, watch the passage. It's fascinating. Chapter 23, verse 1. It says that when you sit to eat with a ruler, a leader, a potential future boss, a politician, someone who has some control or authority, It says, consider diligently what is before you. And so the idea is that there's a meeting going on, perhaps potential employment. Maybe it's a job interview. Uh, For some reason, you're sitting with someone and there is a negotiation, an exchange that's going to take place where they're offering you something. Watch this. It says, and put a knife to your throat. In other words, just commit suicide today. If 
you are a man who's given to appetite. Now, for years I read this and I thought, okay, mental note, when you sit down with people, only eat a little bit of food. That's not what he's talking about here. Remember, this is all parables. It's all symbols. He's not talking about it. He's going to make that very clear in just a moment. He says this, watch this. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful food. And then he tells us what they are. Verse four, he says, labor not to be rich. Cease from your own wisdom. Will you set your eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat not, here's the food, the bread of him that has an evil eye. In other words, you're being offered something. There's a proposition. They are playing on your desires and your appetites and your desire for experiences. And they're offering you something that's alluring, that's tempting, but understand that they want something in return. Four, verse seven, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink Take the money, take the fat envelope, take the package, take the raise, take it. Here, I'm off. This is for you. We've never seen such talent. We've never seen someone that has your potential and your capabilities and what you want. Take the the, the extra seven weeks of vacation. Take it. And you're going like, wow, they really like me. Wow, I, I can't believe God. Finally, someone recognizes what I've known about myself all along, you know. It says, no, eat and drink, says he to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel that you have eaten, in other words, you took it, you said yes, you signed for it. The morsel that you have eaten, you will vomit up. The thing that was such a prize, the thing that you thought, I finally get what I wanted, it's going to become vomit to you. And it says that you will lose your sweet words. In other words, like, man, that guy's awesome. This company is amazing. This government is honest. You know, you know, the sweet words, you're going to lose all of your sweet words. So here's basically what he's saying here in the passage. He's saying to us, there are uh, a, a couple of things that are going on. First of all, come on, where did I write it down? I should, see, that's why I shouldn't write things down. My memory probably would serve me better than my, uh, my notes do. You know, but basically, there is, uh, maybe I didn't, that's the problem. There, there's first of all a proposition that's given to him, and then there's a prize. So the proposition is, take it, there's a prize, you're going to get this. But then there's a price, and then finally there's a pit. See, I should just rely on that, it would be much better, right? There's a pit, you're going you're gonna to throw it out in the long run. Why do I share that with you in terms of a parent teaching their child? because that's exactly what the author is doing for his kids in this situation. The reason why he has this kind of understanding is because he has been involved in a situation like that where there was something going on behind the surface of what's seen and he fell for it and then lived to regret it. And then what he's doing as a parent is he's taking the lesion of that wound and he's turning it into a lesson to help prepare and equip his kids so that they're equipped and ready for life. He's saying to him essentially, listen, watch your appetites and know what they are and consider very carefully what's going on in the various circumstances that you find yourself in. Because this is not an honest world where everything is always as it seems. And if you think that it is, then you're going to be in a place where you're vomiting up what you think is sweet and you're going to be losing your 
love for people on a broad spectrum scale. He's sharing his experiences, the things that he's been through, in order to equip his child for the future that he knows that they're going to need. And this is an amazing example of excellent parenting. One of the things that I've done with my kids, and again, I I count it completely as the wisdom of God, and not with all of them because some of them are younger, is that I have shared with them the vices that I know exist in my family line and in myself. I only got saved when I was 19. So that means I lived 19 years of life without Christ. And you can do a lot of sin in 19 years. You can discover a lot of dark things about yourself. And then through connecting the dots of things that I remember from my childhood, things I saw in my grandparents and then in my parents and then in myself, I know what kind of temptations are going to be visiting my kids as they grow up. And so part of what I've tried to do is to take time with them and say, listen, there are a lot of pitfalls in this world, but these things you need to be on guard for because I know you because I know me. And so you need to watch out for X, Y, and Z. I remember that there was a a time I was on a job in the city working construction, and I saw a bunch of 20-something guys standing around a cell phone in an idle moment, and they were gawking at the screen. Now, I didn't have to wonder what was on the screen. I knew what they were looking at. And it wasn't a funny meme text message that one of the guys got from his kids. All right, you get the idea. They were looking at something they shouldn't have been looking at. And and so I thought about that for a minute, and I just watched this whole thing, and I pictured it as though someday that might be my son on this job, and someone might say, hey, come over here. Look at this. So I went home that night, and I was watching a, a football game with my son, And I remember one of the commercials came on, and when the commercial came on, there was a woman in a bathing suit or something like that. And I said, Rocky, let's go talk. And so we went in the other room, and I shared with him the experience. I told him what happened that day with the guys around the phone, and I said, listen. And I explained to him about lust. I explained to him about the eyes. I explained to him about the power of sexual sin and temptation, the hold that it can grab upon a person, and explained all these things. And he's taken it in, and, 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 and you know, we're sharing and talking about the whole thing. And I said, if anyone ever says, hey, come over here and look at, at this picture, and you get an idea of what it is, just don't go. I said, don't even open that door. You know, and, and so we had, and then I thought that was stupid. He's just a kid. Like, why am I laying this heavy on him the whole day? But can I tell you this is that to this day, when we watch sporting events or anything on TV and one of those commercials comes on, I'll watch my son. And to this day, he will turn, turn his head away when, when the thing goes on. again, don't say, well, he's a great parent. You know, I'm thankful to Jesus, you know, that that's the case right now in his 16 year old life, you know, but, but to take the things that you've been through and to share them with your kids in order to equip them. I haven't arrived. I've been burned. Look at this scar. This is why. And then to explain and go. A good parent teaches. Number three, a good parent is a present companion. A good parent is a present companion. Now, I did not say friend. We are not our kids' friends yet. Hopefully we get to that point. <laughs> you know, but we are their companion for sure. It's Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15, and it says this. It says that a child left to himself is a shame to his mother. And so they are not intended to be left alone to figure things out on their own. Now, does that mean, Dad that you have to get down on the floor and play with Legos and tinker toys and build with blocks maybe once in a while. I'm not particularly gifted at that, and probably one of my shortcomings is that I don't do that enough. 
But I think more than that, what it does mean is that we bring them along with us in the things that we do. So from the time that I remember Hosanna was just little, I thought, well, I want to go running. And here she is. So I said, Hosanna, you want to go running? She's like, what's running? I'm like, well, you're about to find out, you know. And we would run. And we start running, just me and Hosanna. We'd just run. And we'd go for the, and I, obviously I wouldn't, like, go as fast as I normally would, but we'd be running. But I did this with my kids, and, and we started talking while we would run. And it became this amazing thing because, like, you can learn a lot from running. You know, we'd be running up a hill, and I'd be like, you know, this hill is talking to you right now, right? This hill is saying, you can't beat me. This hill is saying, you're tired, you should walk a little bit. This hill is saying, you can't conquer me. I said, don't listen to the hill. Don't listen to the hill. You talk back to the hill and say, I'm bigger than the hill. I'm stronger than the hill. I'm going to beat this hill. And we talk about, you know, how our mind is stronger than our body, but our body wants to control our mind. And it just became these times where we would just share and talk. We still run together even to this day. If I'm doing a brake job, I'll grab whichever of my sons is there, and I'll say, hey, do you guys want to do brakes? And they just sit there and play with tools. They don't know what I'm doing. I'm distracted and getting angry at frozen bolts and things, but they're there with me. You know, we bring them along in what we do, and we just spend the time, even if it's time in silence, but they're not to be left to themselves. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse uh, or, yeah, Deuteronomy, is it 11 or is it 18? I put the thing, it's 11. Deuteronomy 11, verse 18, it says this. It says, therefore you shall lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand and they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you will write them upon the doors of your house and upon your gates that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land, which the Lord swear to your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Listen to what he says. He says, listen, take your kids with you. When you're in the way, when you're doing the things that you do, if you're making dinner, if you're cleaning a room, if you're putting something together, just get them alongside of you and just talk to them. Apply it spiritually. Speak into their lives. Breathe truth on them. Breathe companionship on them. Breathe encouragement and insurance upon them. Do it. And notice what he says in verse 21. He says that it will be as the days of heaven upon the earth. It's going to come back to you and you're going to be grateful that you did it. Now, here's how I want to bring it home this week as we close out uh, and then we'll, we'll finish off next week. There are, on one end of the spectrum, there are Peter Pan parents. They're kids that are raising kids that have never matured and they've never grown up. And the problem with Peter Pan parents is that they create lost boys and girls. Is that there's nothing being cultivated and spoken into their lives. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they are. They don't know where they're going. They have absolutely no vision. On the other end of the spectrum, there's the Captain Hook parents. And Captain Hook parents, they create rebels. And that's what the lost boys were to those pirates, is that those kids, they're worthless, they're useless. And Captain Hook parents, they don't produce lost boys. What they produce are kids that despise authority, that rebel most often in the areas where they're most constricted. That's what Captain Hook parents do. And so for the sake of our conversation and for our application, 
What I'm asking you to do is to honestly ask the Lord and say, where do I fall on this spectrum between the Peter Pan parent and the Captain Hook parent? And how can I come to the middle where I'm a Wendy? Where I understand the wonder of childhood, but I understand the maturity of adulthood. And I want to bring my kids along so that they know who they are, but yet they're rounded, uh, normal and stable people that I like to be around. If you say tonight, I'm a Peter Pan parent through and through. I'm a lost boy. I'm a kid. I've never grown up. That's, that's the way that I tend to, to lean towards, just in honestly. Uh, that's what I am, you know. Um, if you're in that place, then here's what you need to, to realize and understand. If you're a Peter Pan parent, Peter Pan is Peter Pan because Peter Pan doesn't have a parent. And so if you want to be a better parent and that's who you are, then you need to find out who your parent is. Who's your parent? Your parent is Jesus Christ. And what I have learned is that the key to influencing the people that are under me is to be in submission and under the authority of him that is over me. And so if I want to be the kind of parent that's going to be able to bring my kids along, then I need to come under his lordship and allow him to have full control and lord in my life. And when I know God and my heart is set towards God, then I'm able to communicate to my kids accurately who they are, why they are, where they're going, how to live, and I get to say to them, listen, I'm going there too, let's go together. And it builds trust and relationship, and so the more I know him, the better dad I'm going to be. And so if that's you, that's what you need. I need more of you, Jesus, in my life to influence me that I might be an influence to my kids. If you're on the other end of the spectrum and you say, you know, I'm more of a Captain Hook type of parent. You know, I'm, I'm kind of the more iron fist. I'm more truth. Maybe my spouse has more grace, but I'm truth. I'm Captain Hook. Captain's Hook problem isn't that he doesn't have a parent. Captain Hook's problem is that he doesn't have a heart. Captain Hook lacks empathy and he's forgotten what it's like to be a child. And so what needs to happen is that something has to bridge the gap between the two worlds to bring you back a little bit towards where they are. Uh, I want to read this to you. This impacted my life greatly a number of years ago. It's a, a kind of a poem. It's an excerpt. It's called Father Forgets. It was written by W. Livingston Larned, and, it, and it's a little bit old. You'll be able to tell that by the language, but it really illustrates the idea of what it means to kind of come back from being that Captain Hook place. He says this. He says, listen, son, I'm saying this as you lie asleep one little paw crumpled under your cheek and the blonde curls stickily wet on your damp forehead. I have snuck into your room alone. Just a few minutes ago, as I sat reading my paper in the library, a stifling wave of remorse swept over me. Guiltily, I came to your bedside. There are things I was thinking, son. I've been angry towards you. I've scolded you as you were dressing for school because you gave your face merely a dab with a towel. I took you to task for not cleaning your shoes. I called out angrily when you threw some of your things on the floor. At breakfast, I found fault, too. You spilled things. You gulped down your food. You put your elbows on the table. You spread butter too thick on your bread. And as you started off to play and I made for my train, you turned and waved a hand and called, Goodbye, Daddy. And I frowned and said in reply, Hold your shoulders back. Then it began all over again in the late afternoon. 
As I came up the road, I spied you down on your knees playing marbles. There were holes in your stockings. I humiliated you before your friends by marching you ahead of me to the house. Stockings were expensive, and if you had to buy them, you would be more careful. Imagine that, son, from a father. Do you remember later when I was reading in the library how you came in timidly with sort of a hurt look in your eyes? When I glanced up from my paper, impatient at the interruption, you hesitated at the door. What is it you want? I snapped. You said nothing but ran across in one tempestuous plunge and threw your arms around my neck and kissed me and your small arms tightened with an affection that God had set blooming in your heart and which even neglected could not wither. And then you were gone, pattering up the stairs. Well, son, it was shortly afterwards that my paper slipped from my hands and a terrible, sickening fear came over me. What has habit been doing to me? The habit of finding fault, of reprimanding. This was my reward to you for being a boy? It was not that I did not love you. It was that I expected too much of youth. I was measuring you by the yardstick of my own years. And there was so much that was good and fine and true in your character. The little heart of you was as big as the dawn itself over the wide hills. This was shown by your spontaneous impulse to rush in and kiss me goodnight. Nothing else matters tonight, son. I have come to your bedside in the darkness. I have knelt there ashamed. It's a feeble atonement. I know you would not understand these things if I told them to you during your waking hours. But tomorrow I will be a real daddy. I will chum with you and suffer when you suffer and laugh when you laugh. I will bite my tongue when impatient words come. I will keep saying as if it were a ritual, he is nothing but a boy, a little boy. I am afraid I have visualized you as a man. Yet as I see you now, son, crumpled and weary in your cot, I see that you're still a baby. Yesterday... You were in your mother's arms, your head on her shoulder. I have asked much too much. Now listen, the answer, if you find yourself relating maybe a little bit too much to that, like I did when I first read it, the answer is not, I'm going to try harder or resolve that I'm no longer going to be this way. Listen, what God has provided, the remedy for a hardened heart, a lack of empathy, is a filling with the Holy Spirit. That's what God has done. The spirit that God has given is called the spirit of love. The fruit of the spirit is love. And so the proper response, if that's what you find in your heart towards your kids, it's not to say, well, I'm going to change or be different. It's rather to, before God Almighty, say, Lord, I need you to soften my heart again. I need to be filled with the spirit of your love towards the kids that you've given me. I need to see them with your eyes. I need to understand this role and responsibility. And I need to steward it, not with my wisdom and strategy, but by your spirit and grace at work in my life. And Lord, I need you tonight to soften my heart. And so my challenge to you is this as we close, is that on whatever end of that spectrum you might find yourself, That if you say, I'm maybe a child raising a child, that you might say, Lord, I need to be closer to you and more intimate with you. That I might know what it means to have you as my parent, that I might know how to be a parent to my kids. And if on the other end, that you might say, Lord, I need you to fill me with your spirit again. I need you to revive my affections towards my kids and remind me what it means to nurture, to train them, and to love them as you love them, as you love me. 
and to know how to do it according to their personality and what they need. And so I'll just invite you, even right now as we close, to just stand where you are, and I'm going to pray over us as a congregation and ask that the Spirit of God would descend. You can stand. Go ahead. We're going to close. But Father, I just pray right now, Lord, for us. Lord, we're, we're here. We're all uh, kids raising kids, Lord, but you're our great Father. And Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for your ability, for your wisdom. We want to thank you for your ways. Thank you, Lord, that even in our failures, Lord, that even in our failures, Lord, you're still in control and you're still God. And so, Lord, we lift up our kids to you. We lift up our households, our marriages, our families. We want them to be strong. We want to see our kids thrive and do well. We want to know what it means, Lord, when Moses wrote and he said that your days might be as the days of heaven upon the earth. And so we want to ask you, Lord, that tonight you know what we need as parents. We pray that you would impart it to us by the power and person of your Holy Spirit. That, Jesus, you would truly be our Lord. That you would give us a vision and eyes for eternity. That you would help us to see our place, to assess our role. That where we need to be more childlike, to where we need to be more teaching, or where we need to come alongside and spend the time, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. So fill us tonight, Lord. Anoint us by your Spirit. Move upon us, Lord. Help us, Father. We're needy. We look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.